Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report podcast interview. This is Roy. My guest on this episode is John Beghold, keyboardist and songwriter for Pattern Seeking Animals, who are back with their fourth album called Spooky Action at a Distance. Comes out on October 27th. I speak to John about the new album and a whole lot more. But before we get started, just a reminder, subscribe to our YouTube channel, wherever you get your podcasts, progreport.com, and follow us on all our socials. And on my chat with John Bigholt. How's it going? Good. How have you been? Very good. We haven't talked Very in good. a little while, other than uh, emails, many, many emails. Right. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Many. So, uh, yeah, you're still out in LA, yeah? Oh, yeah. Studio City, California. Sunny Studio City, California. Yeah, I've you lived all, here for, uh, uh, I was going to say, have you lived there for forever? I mean, since 1980, I moved from Detroit when I was 22 or something. So I've lived most of my life here. Really. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Well, that's where, uh, that's where all the, well, all the Spocks guys, that's where the band formed. Is that where you met the, them uh, at the time? Yeah, I met, um, yeah. Cause I had, I started a band when I got here with a couple other people and this is like 1982. so like 40 years ago. And, uh, we, we lost a guitar player and the drummer said, you know, I, I have a good, and we needed to go into the studio. Uh, and we, we had like a non-refundable deposit. So we were kind of screwed. And, and uh, the drummer, Steve said, Hey, I'm playing with in this band called Casanova with, uh, with a really great guitar player and he'll, he'll come and do it. And it was, that was Alan Morris. And that's from there. I met Neil. And then I, I started out playing bass, but then I switched to guitar, then met Dave a couple years later. So yeah, I met all those guys like forever, forever ago. Forever ago. That's so cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. But of course, uh, we want to talk about the new Pattern Seeking Animals album, uh, cool. Spooky Action at a Distance. You guys have the best uh, album titles. I have to give you a lot of props for that. Uh, well, thanks. It comes out on October 27th. A couple of singles out already. Um, yep. Dude, another great album. You guys just keep churning them out. I mean... And real fast, I mean, I should ask, this one's done and on its way out, but have you already finished album number five? Is it... I'm, I'm like halfway through it. Seriously, because... <laughs> that was we a had... joke, but yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's never a joke with me. Because what happened is with this album, we, we turned it in. Normally we turn it in and, you know, the record company takes a month or two to put it, depending on the, you know, the lag time. But this time they had some other things scheduled, you know, but they wanted to put out before us. And... Uh, and we decided it might be cool to release in the fall because we're normally in the spring we release albums and so this album was turned in like the end of april so since then it's just twiddling our thumbs waiting for it to come out a half year later yeah. so in the meantime of course i'm writing so yeah i got like quite a few songs ready i'm mean, we'll hopefully record drums for the next album uh, sometime next month hopefully you know what's funny uh you talk about the, how you deliver an album and then it takes a lot of time I mean, that's the norm it happens all the time with oh, a lot yeah. of records um, but I, I, did you watch that Beatles documentary, Get Back? You know, the one that came out? No, uh, I didn't. No. You, well, it's, it's, if you like that kind of stuff, it's really good and really interesting. But there's yeah. one, they're, they're working on, on the song, Get Back, in the, in, in the documentary. And right. they're, they finish it. They finish tracking it. And then they're talking about how, yeah, let's just put it out next Thursday. Okay, great. <laughs> oh, that's the, way it, that's the way it was. It's like the, the famous Elvis story. Elvis goes into, you know, into a little recording studio in Memphis and uh, cuts a couple tracks at night, you know, for a budget and, uh, you know, sun music or whatever it was. And the, the, the engineer, he, he thought it was really good. So he just walked, the, made an acetate and walked it over to the radio station. They started playing it that day, you know, 
Yeah, and even in the 60s, you're right, it was released so quickly. You know, the yeah. turnaround time was insane. Insane. It's just not a big deal. Now it's like yeah. just to get your vinyl pressed, it's like six months beforehand. You have to give them the record and, and all well, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's what kind of messed us up during uh, the last album, Only Passing Through. Because I was just thinking, oh, it'll come out like a year later, like the rest of it. And I talked to the record company and said, oh, no, especially during the pandemic. The right. vinyl, the, you you got to turn this in at least six that months. That was backed up forever. It was really Oh, I know. It was, damn, I wish I would have known this. But <laughs> yeah, but I, that's that's gotten a little better. But it's still a long wait. It's still yeah, a long yeah. wait. So, uh, so well, let's before we get uh, to you writing a new record, I do want to talk about this new one and let let people know it's out oh, yeah. uh, or coming out rather. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, it's your fourth album in just around five years, I guess. The first one was in 2019 or four years, whatever you want to. Oh, yeah. look it, at this, it. this one comes out four years and like three or four months after yeah. the first one. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, um, what is that writing process for you that goes so quickly? And, and how do you determine, okay, I have another album's worth of stuff? You know, some people write for years and years and then we'll pick tracks out of that bunch or, you know, everybody has a different way of doing it. So how, how, what's your approach? How do you do it? Um, kind of a combination. Uh, first of all, I just love writing. I'm, you know, a, a product of the studio. You know, I, I, there's nothing better for me than sitting, uh, sitting in a studio and just working on stuff or coming up, creating music. Uh, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is turn on my studio setup and I might do something then or I'll come back to it during the day and pop an idea down or whatever. But I think like a lot of songwriters, you have in instrumentalists, whatever, you always have this memory bank full of older stuff, which you're never able to make work or songs didn't work out and you might want to try again. And right now, if you were to look at my iTunes, I probably have a hundred different musical ideas from the past few years, just little, I mean, I'm not talking, some of them are close to complete songs, but most of them are like, well, here's a really cool riff or here's a cool melody for a chorus, you know, things like that. Right. So I'm always saving stuff up. And I don't know, it's just because I get obsessed with stuff, but like there's, there are songs, this happened on each Pattern Seeking Animals record where a couple of the songs are ancient. You know, they may be 30 years old, but at the time I wasn't able to kind of close the deal and make them good. I, I just wasn't, I didn't have my songwriter chops, you know, the song craftsman chops right. together to do it. And what I would do is then I would all of a sudden, you know, I'd listen to it 20 years later and think, oh yeah, this should have been like this. And I'll sit down, I'll rewrite the whole song, you know, to fit something current. And I think, I, I, I think most writers are like that. In fact, it was, I remember reading something with, uh, about Genesis once after, uh, they were after they did um Lamb-Lice down on broadway and they were saying oh yeah we were able to use some musical ideas we came up with before trespass and all this stuff and i was thinking right. whoa it blew my mind because i thought what they don't just sit down and write a whole new album you know there's always little bits and pieces that make their way through time you know to an album when it's when it's the right time to do things how do you label them these ideas over over years it, that you know what they are it might just be like uh six four mandolin mandolin song or it might be a uh, um, uh, uh, tubular bell melod or um, lullaby, or it might be string quartet chorus. It's just just stuff right. like that. Yeah, I don't generally name with song titles. It's just kind of descriptions, so I remember yeah. what it is. You know, pian piano sonata. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. At what point uh, in the process do you start bringing in Dave and and Ted and Jimmy? Is it when it's completely done? 
yeah when the song is done although what i i'm just working on a song now where i'm going back and forth with dave to get his opinion on stuff um well, what do you think of it this way oh there's needs to be some more 12 string in here okay cool i'll add that and maybe this section come you know i'll i'll, I'll mostly dave sometimes tad i'll throw some stuff against you know up against him and you know get some feedback uh but a lot of times i just finish it myself and then at that point um and also a lot of times uh, i will ask them about something technical because a lot of times when you write on keyboard for guitar right. or for bass you, you you might be playing something which is really easy on a keyboard but finding the the frets don't work that way so Sometimes title say to me, what the hell? How do I play that? <laughs> you know. So I, I so sometimes I just run things by him or if I, I had a, I had an interview just recently with a guy who's a drummer that yeah. writes all the stuff uh yeah. for the band and plays it on piano and MIDI and then constructs the guitar parts and then same issue. Yeah. There were things that just you can't play the, on yeah. the guitar at all. You have the guitarist had to then rework it and figure out how to do it. Yeah, usually because on the, on my demos I play and on the albums I play a lot of uh of the acoustic and rhythm stuff so that stuff if i can play it i know he can play it or whatever it, but it's just sometimes like there was something on the last album on that song time has a way the 13 minute right. one where i wanted him to double the keyboard part so i sent it to him first because it's kind of a weird fingering and he figured out how to play it which was cool um i didn't think he you know i didn't think it was but he did it great um but no you're right uh the problem is if you're not familiar with the way what instruments are supposed to do it can just be a nightmare to play or it's especially when it comes down to writing for different instruments like you know flute or oboe or cello right. or whatever you have to consider what something like that instrument would play you know you don't well that's just something it's just something this guy doing a synth solo on the flute because it's obviously wrote <laughs> it on the keyboard so you kind of have to put yourself in the shoes of a of the instrumental instrumentalist you're writing for yeah so uh the last couple albums i mean prehensile tales was great uh really love that record the last one only cool. passing through so i saw you guys progress uh, again with with a few different ideas and bringing in some other stuff and again i think you've done that with this one but when you go into writing for a particular album um do you have a predetermined kind of idea on what you want to do are you are you deliberately saying i want to try something different i want to do this differently because there has been some change between the records i feel like that's conscious because it, it's very tough when you're a when you're writing things so closely together uh you know we all know there are bands out there who will put out 10 albums over a 15-year period and they all sound and they could any one of those could be from any of the other albums you know they're just kind of churning out the same stuff um, which is fine sometimes because it's like ACDC. ACDC is great. Well, they, and the they are the poster child for that. Yeah. But people yeah. like it that way for them. It's, it works. Well, they, and I wouldn't want to hear anything different from ACDC. Right. It's like, cool. It, it, it sounds like ACDC. <laughs> right. But with Prague, especially, I always want to hear something different. And when a band sticks on the same formula the, the whole time, I get very bored as a listener and I just kind of move away from it. Um, consciously, a couple of things. The only conscious decision as far as what kind of material, I just start writing and working on stuff. And if something starts to remind me of, oh, that sounds like something from Prehensile Tales, I'll shy away from it. I'll junk it because I don't, I'm trying not to repeat. And it's, it's so easy to do it. And even as much as I do that, I, be, I was listening to some of the, um, the songs in the new album the other day. And I realized that there's a certain rhythmic thing I do with time signatures. I've done a few times. No one 
on the planet would ever make the connection except for me but i'm thinking okay i got okay that's a mental note i'm going to get away from doing this one particular thing again no one would ever in a million years notice it so that the key was just to keep writing stuff which didn't sound like something else we had done um and also the fact that we recorded it at a different studio with a different engineer was a uh, a big help for that yeah it was it yeah it definitely was do you feel like um, the whole Spock's beard comparison is pretty much over? I feel like it is. I don't think it sounds like Spock's that much anymore. I mean, Ted's voice is Ted's voice, but yeah, um, you know, the first album kind of had a little bit of a bridge there. But I think you yeah. guys completely have separated yourselves from that. I like to think that, but I understand why people don't hear that. I just didn't. I've I've done a couple interviews where that's they would just talk about, oh, it's like Spock's beard, except for just you know different guys. And I said, no, it's it's really different. And I understand why people think that. Uh, and I can completely understand when they're after the first album, oh, it's a side project, it's a spinoff. But after four albums at some point. Yeah, you know, no. Yeah, really, at some point. Yeah. And it sounds different. And also, I was going to say, I, it doesn't really bother me when people make the comparison, you know, or, or argue about something because people are still arguing about uh, Phil Collins becoming the singer in Genesis <laughs> 50 yeah. years ago. You know, so it's like they're yeah, still exactly. arguing about that a half a century later. So it's fine. Whatever. Everybody yeah, right. But it. well, that said, though, you did bring back a, a, a song you wrote for Spock's uh, Bulletproof for this record. Right. Um, uh, talk about why you brought that song back. A few reasons. First of all, it's, it, of all the songs, it, it's it's change. It's, it's a bit, there's a different bridge and a different intro and a few different mm-hmm. things about the instrumentation is different. But of all the songs I've written in the past 20 years, that was one of my favorites. And with Spock's, I wasn't happy the way it turned out. Uh, and then it ended up on the bonus disc. And it's like, if it would have been on the main disc, I wouldn't have redone it because, okay, there it's, it's set in stone with that record. But mm-hmm. bonus discs, as much as you know, people talk differently, it really is like a ghetto of music, bonus discs. <laughs> right. you know? Sure, you can, get, you, can get, you, know, you can stream them and you can whatever, but bonus discs, for the most part, they're like novelty things people might listen to once or twice. And since I always loved the song, I just decided I wanted to do it again. I wanted to do the version I, the way I always heard it. Yeah, I always felt like it should have been on the main record, too. Uh, for- well, you and me both. But the problem, <laughs> the, but what happens is, and it happens with a zillion different bands, because there's so many, there's all these guys in Spock's Beard with a, with a very strong personality who are good writers. And, so it's always, and since there's no one person um, dictating who, what goes and what goes on the, uh, the album, no one can make a decision right. and and they would just say okay let's send it over to uh thomas at inside out and see what what he wants on there and he'll listen to everything once or twice and make a uh make a uh a song list and bulletproof wasn't on it for whatever reason but it's like you know i agree but i agree <laughs> but i agree I, I understand why it's done that happens a lot with bands you know when you can't make a decision it's like okay you know, no one wants to take their song off yeah, the album. All right, no let's one... have somebody do it, and we'll live with whatever, whatever. Exactly, it is. everyone agree. Whatever he says, we're gonna live with it. And, yeah, and to yeah, me, yeah. it was just like, oh, damn. <laughs> so. okay, well, a couple of songs on the new record I wanted to to talk about. Uh, recent sure. singles, "Somewhere North of Nowhere," which is really cool. Oh, um, I think different than anything you guys have done, uh, and a really cool kind of prog prog track. Uh, talk cool. about putting that one together. That one started off with that riff you know the you know that riff in the beginning on a certain kind of guitar sound that really telecastery troubly thing and i just kept building it from there um 
like kind of a riff song uh, and I came up with the melody. At that point, I hadn't even decided to have a title or lyrics yet. Uh, and I kind of, I, I, the lyrics are done very late on that one, which is rare for me. So the music is put together first and the first is pretty standard prog. And then it goes in the bridge section, which is very different from the, yeah. the main song. First of all, because it's, you know, I listen to a lot of other types of music, uh, just, uh, you know, pop and EDM and K-pop. I just love all that stuff. So the, basically that bass thing, which is on the upbeat, it's a very EDM kind of thing with a kick drum. And I wanted uh, just a different sound. So I put Ted's voice through a vocoder and a uh, vocal synthesizer to get these really cool things on either side. I just wanted it to be very different from the song. Then all of a sudden it pops back into the, to the rest of the song. Yeah. Yeah, so really um, that, cool. that song, thanks. That song is actually a lot longer. That, that song, when we cut it, it was almost like nine minutes long. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, and this happens to me all the time, is that I started listening to it, and I realized I was skipping through certain parts uh, when I was listening back to it. So I thought, you know what? If I'm skipping through parts, people who are listening to this are going to skip through the same parts. So we just edited them out. I, edited, I like that. Sometimes editing is – I've heard – I hear songs all the time that, that – you know, I you have to respect the artist for their decisions totally, but yeah. there's some parts where it's just like one keyboard note that goes on for like a minute in the middle of a song, and I feel like, wow, I wish they would have just gotten to the next part already. You know, I think a lot of that. Um, uh, I think part of it is because when I was years ago, when I was doing film and TV stuff, which I didn't do, you know, I did some. I wasn't really super successful at it, but I did enough. You get into the something where you'll of director says, okay, I need something for this scene. It's just 10 minutes long and you work on it, you know, sweating, sweating bullets, you know, for, for a week and you give it to him and he listens to him and he goes, that ah, isn't right. I need something else by Tuesday. <laughs> so you get in, you get in the mind frame of you can't get too attached to anything. You yeah. can't get that demo love. So you have to be able to jettison stuff, which isn't working for any reason and come up with new stuff. I think what a lot of people do is they get, they get in, they're in love with their own, their own music, which is fine, but you kind of have to stand outside and think, yeah, maybe I shouldn't repeat that chorus six times at the end, or maybe I shouldn't, yeah, maybe I can cut this whole verse yeah. out. There, there's a song on the last album called Said the Stranger. Mm -hmm. That song, I at the last moment, I cut out an entire verse and chorus because oh, wow. to me, it wasn't saying anything new. It wasn't going in a different place. So I thought, oh, why is it here? So, so yeah, I, and sometimes I wonder if I get a little too, uh, edit happy but i think for the most part that's a right. good yeah i'd rather edit have you ever edited a song a, a part out of one of the songs and then like one of the guys in the band's like hey what what happened to that verse why'd you do that sometimes <laughs> but i think they're i think they're used to it i i at this point because i've done you know i i've done that so much and i'll send them an early version and all of a sudden it's very different oh yeah it's like oh by the way i raised this part up a key and i added a new part and i took out this bridge <laughs> you know this that happens all that you know the worst is that i'll uh, i'll send you know ted a guitar part to do where he has to match you know match something else and i'll send him this chord progression then while he's doing it i'll change the part i'll just change a chord or something and i didn't realize he had already done with the part so he'll send me the part and it's like Oops, I forgot to tell him I changed that chord from an A minor to a, you know, a C7 or whatever. And, and most of the time, it's very easy to fix these days with you know, Melodyne and all the tools. But um, 
yeah, I got to be careful about that kind of stuff because I don't want to have to go back to someone and say, ah, can you do this part again? Yeah. There is a, a, also a, a longer uh, epic uh, track on there, He Once Was, yeah. uh, which is interesting because it's very much, I feel it's almost like a ballad, really. It's, yeah. It, it's not sort of, you think of the Prague epic, you know, one of these longer songs, sort of a, a, a rocker thing, but it's very pretty in the beginning very uh, you know has kind of a soundtrack kind of element to it i think yeah. um i like that song a lot and it builds really well like at the end it's almost a different song talk about that one a little bit yeah that one started off uh, the the figure in the beginning you're talking about with the piano the da da yeah. da, da with with the flute that's a melody you know going back to the earlier conversation i've had 10 12 years in and i just kept playing it and for the past few albums and other stuff, I've tried to work it into or write another song around it, but I was never able to, it just didn't click. And for some reason this time, it, I said, I, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to, I'm absolutely going to use it because it's too good not to. So then from there, it just kind of all flowed out from that, that part. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the lyrics are based from an idea. I was reading this book called um, The Face Maker by Lindsay Fitzharris, and it's about a plastic surgeon after World War One, who made a lot of inventions and advances in plastic surgery for soldiers who were coming back from the war, you know, with really bad facial disfigurements or whatever. And um, there was a vignette in the book about one soldier who was at the time a, like a conscientious objector and he didn't want to want to go to the war. And he eventually did. And, you know, in France or wherever he was, got half of his face blown off and suffered other injuries. And it's not written directly about him. But I like the idea of writing something of a guy who went to war and comes back where he's not totally whole, either physically or mentally. And I don't like to get things too on the nose. Uh, it's, you, you know, you would never listen to it and say, oh, it's about World War One and it's about, uh, you know, a shell going off in his face. It's it's not that. It's just kind yeah, of I didn't, I didn't catch that. That's not no. where I, that wasn't my visualization of it. Well, that's the thing. I always like it when people come up with their own. Um, I would be surprised if anyone did because... Uh, you know, there are a couple things like soldiers on the lines. Okay, it's kind of about war, maybe, or a battle. But so I just kept writing it and going with it, and the melodies worked out great. And the way it builds, you know, it's funny because there was a bit of uh, there's a bit of dissension in the group about this song because at the end, where I go into that sax solo, mm -hmm. uh, couple Ted and Jimmy just don't like. They just didn't like the sax there at all. Dave loved it. I loved it. And I would, I would ask different people and people are very mixed about saxophone. You know, to me, it's great. You know, you hear all those old like super tramp or pink Floyd where they're using the sax. And to me, there's just nothing better. It's so cool. Oddly, so the that, second interview I've done today where we brought up saxophone in Prague. It's very, oh, cool. very wild. <laughs> yeah. See, I love, I, I really love it. Uh, I think it's great. Yeah. In, in the right place, it can be really cool. And that, that section at the end, the solo section just screamed out to me for sax. Yeah. So I think it ties in really nicely to the end when that big chorus comes back. And and the other reason I really like it is it's unexpected from us. Right. It's not something you go, oh yeah, here's another flutes or here's a violin solo or whatever. It, you're not expecting that to pop yeah. up. And the, yeah, yeah. and the guy who played it did a killer job. Killer job. So uh, I'm curious if you have a favorite uh, uh, album that you guys have done or and a, and a favorite song so far since it's been... I wonder if it may be easier for you to feel that way on an album or a song because you've done so much in such a short period of time. It's kind of a mixed bag because uh, 
I don't listen to albums too much after I'm done. Sometimes I'll go back and listen, especially when you have to put together things for live or different versions or whatever. It's really tough because songs that were my favorite in the beginning I listen to now and I think, eh, that could have been better. It could have been different. And songs I wasn't crazy about, I thought, you know what, that's that's really good. Um, Jimmy, uh, I was just talking to Jimmy the other night about uh, songs from the album that you know are the, like the favorite songs from people and both of us from the first album really like the way uh, we write the ghost stories that song turned mm-hmm. out i think it's one of the best songs you've ever done jimmy jimmy completely agrees i have in the past four years up until the other day no one has ever mentioned that song as being good or bad or whatever which i find bizarre but it's it's not unusual right. um I think on the second album, I think I'm the most on Prehensile Tales, probably that song Lifeboat, because it's uh, it's long and it's epic-y and it yeah. uh, it goes through different things. It's really moody. Um, again, there's sax in that. There's a sax solo in that song, but I threw, but I put it through a fuzz box, so it, most people think it's a guitar. <laughs> but that one I really like. On the last album, on uh, on uh, Only Passing Through, you know, I haven't, I I just haven't really listened back to it too much you know, since, um, since it came out, I probably will at, at some point, every once in a while I hear a little of it, but, yeah. um, nothing really, you know, pops out. And again, from this one, I'm just so close to it. I, I can't, I, I like it all because I'll, I, I still keep listening to it. I, it works really well to me and it moves, but I have no doubt that if, if I stop listening to it and come back in a year, I'll have different opinions about different songs. Cause that's just, I always liked, um, much ado. Is one of my favorites. Yeah, that's a great song. I, I bugged Ted so much to put that. I tried to get him to do that for the first two albums. Really? And he's, he said, oh, no, I don't really want to do it because I want to do like a, maybe do a solo album and do it. And I, I would try different versions of it because I love that song. And finally, for the last album, uh, I came up with a version he kind of begrudgingly gave in. And so I said, yes, cool, we get to do this song. Because he's <laughs> such a great writer and he comes up with great stuff. He is, he's great. But, uh, I keep bugging him to write more stuff. Yeah. So the band uh, did play on the last Cruise to the Edge uh, with a a few other members uh, that joined. Um, It went over really well. Is there any plans for for shows in the future, maybe with those guys again or or doing some things? Yeah, if we play live, it's definitely those two guys, Walter and Dennis, are just such great additions. There's multi, you know, multi-talented on multi-instruments. Yeah. They can both sing and they're great to just to hang with, even though I wasn't in the band. Uh, but they're, you know, they're great guys. So we do play live, you know, next time we play live, they're going to be a part of it. Um, we're looking at a couple things, nothing locked in yet. Um I, for some reason, we got the word that we might be doing the cruise, but we were never asked, you know, this next one. So I don't, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe that'll still pop up. I think this one's full. Yeah. I think it's full. Which is fine. Which yeah, that's a lot of acts. Yeah. Um, We have a couple things we're, we're we're thinking about, but it's just nothing solid right now. We'd like to get back out there and playing, but as I'm sure, you know, it's just gets tougher and tougher, whether it's just financially or logistically. Yeah. um, Yeah. getting stuff together and I, you know, a bunch of, during the pandemic, a bunch of clubs, you know, the, this type of band would normally played shut down and uh, you know, festivals got really weird and uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff to slog through and especially a band in the States uh, has to go to Europe. I think we can do some dates here, 
but to really get a you know something going a momentum going i think you kind of have to go to europe yeah. um just because from here you know i live in california jimmy lives here dave is in northern california ted's in new york so logistically just getting together to rehearse is you know is tough yep so but we'll see yeah, yeah ho hopefully you know well, uh, again, the new album, uh, Spooky Action at a Distance, comes out October 27th. Great stuff. Check out the singles out now on YouTube, on Spotify, or wherever. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, we look forward to the next album. I think what you guys do is great. I think it's oh, thanks. it fills a nice void of, of, a, of a good kind of space in Prague that, that doesn't exist so much anymore. And, uh, yeah. and, I, and I think it's uh, awesome. great, wonderful music, man. Cool. I appreciate it. Awesome. Appreciate All right. Much. I'll talk to you soon. Very good. Thank you much. Everybody, see ya. Later. Thanks to John for the interview. Don't forget to check out the new album from Pattern Seeking Animals, Spooky Action at a Distance, comes out on October 27th. There's a few singles out now on YouTube and Spotify or wherever you get your music. For upcoming news, reviews, interviews, and more, follow us on progreport.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on all the socials, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll see you soon.